just to my left was um, First Light. And I was like, sweet, I get to hang out with First Light all day. You know, I had a couple undergarments, pair of pants and stuff like that. First Light's the, you know, the greatest clothing company out there and um, I love their stuff. And he just said, hey, you might be a fit for us. Maybe it's something we can talk about. So that, you know, that bloomed and grew into something else. And uh, I became a you know, pro staffer for him out here in California. If you're going to sweat and you're going to sweat on summer hunts, you're going to sweat in California chasing these blacktails. And it's uh, kind of like what we were talking about. It's uh, some days it can be no joke. It's almost unbearable and you got to push yourself through it. And you got to, more importantly, you got to have the right gear to do it. And I've already worn some of their stuff. And so, like I said, when that opportunity came, I, man, it was just like, just kind of like what you said. It's absolutely, you know, humbling and blessing that, you know, that you asked to do something like that. Welcome to the RNA Outdoors podcast, propelled by Ripcord Aero Rests. At RNA, we are public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we speak with experts in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. Greetings, listeners. You are tuned in to another episode of the RNA Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Paw, and we are coming to you again from the man cave here in uh, the RNA headquarters in Pastor Robles, California. It's a warm, sunny summer day here in uh, late July, or actually late June, and uh, been spending the weekend chasing some uh, pigs around and doing some hiking and doing some fun stuff that. Uh, we, uh, we all love to do being in the outdoors, so uh, we've had a really good time. We're going to talk about uh, kind of our weekend and what's manifested over the weekend, which has been a lot of fun and, and uh, someone's successful first pig hunt, so I'm excited to talk about that. So before we get into the actual podcast, I just want to talk to our title sponsor, which is Ripcord Arrow Rest, a bow hunter's number one follow-away arrest on the market. As most of you know, Ripcord is based out of Dillon, Montana, pretty small shop, uh, and uh, you know they are basically the number one bow hunter's choice uh, for fallaway rests. Ripcord is best known for its 100% full-time arrow containment. The rest that I use uh, is the uh, the Ace adjustable. So uh, the beauty of that micro adjust is is you can adjust for elevation, you can adjust for windage. So if you don't want to mess with your sight, uh, it's pretty nice to level up and true up your arrow uh, based on tuning, rest tuning, and flight with your uh, micro-adjust ripcord. So anyway, thanks to Keith and Kevin for continuing to support our podcast uh, and, uh, again, just continue to support a, a really good product. So this afternoon, I'm privileged and fortunate enough to sit down with a fellow outdoorsman, a fellow California resident, uh, and now a fellow First Light Pro Staff brother. Um, about a month or so ago, a month and a half ago, I received a phone call from Micah Brown. And uh, it was a, probably one of the most uplifting phone calls I've had in a while. But uh, he uh, basically asked me a few questions and was you know, asking me about 
you know, first light and some of the things I do. And then he asked if I would be honored to take on a position as a first light pro staff member. And of course I was over the moon when he asked me that and totally excited. So anyway, um, I'm excited to have Micah here. He actually came down to visit uh, me here in, in uh, Paso Robles and uh, Micah will talk a little bit more about himself as we get into some of the topics. But uh, anyway, I want to welcome uh, Micah Brown. He's both a father, husband, uh, and an avid outdoorsman. So anyway, Micah, welcome to the RNA Outdoors podcast. Awesome, man. I appreciate the uh, invite, and it's been one great, epic weekend. It's been fun. It's been fun getting to know you. It's been fun hanging out, just talking about hunting, talking about gear. We're going to kind of get into some of the technical um, you know, gear around First Light and some of their new offerings in 2017. But um, yeah, it's just been fun. I think the icing on the cake this morning was was pretty neat for you to go out and harvest uh, your first wild pig. So that was cool. Yeah, for sure. To uh, be out in an area and environment that I've never hunted in before, completely different from what I would consider Northern California. This uh, central stuff is very dry, um, open for the most part. But kind of a mixed, you know, mixed hunt with chaparrals and short oaks and big oaks. And some of the stuff is, you know, kind of crosses over. But for the most part, it's completely foreign. Yeah. Now, the A-zone area, I've always said, is unlike a lot of areas in the state because it is. It can be really thick oak scrub, you know, kind of like an Ocotilla, Manzanita type thick scrub. And then you've got areas where you've got, uh, you know, pine trees and you've got oak trees, luscious oak trees that, you know, have give you a lot of undergrowth. So it's an interesting area. It, it definitely makes it interesting when you're trying to chase down blacktails and other types of species on the coast. But clearly you saw this weekend what it's like hunting pigs here on the coast and it, it's a pretty good time. It's fun. Yeah. Where you can, uh, basically, you, you know, you get sun on your back, of your neck all, all, all day. It doesn't yeah. stop unless you hide under one of those chaparrals or underneath an oak tree, you step back out. It's like a furnace. And then at nighttime you have to shut the windows here and, uh, because it, you know, it can get a little chilly. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing we like about the weather here is it's hot during the day, but we always generally cool off in the evening. So anyway, to kind of kick this off, we're going to um, get to know Micah a little better. So um, we're just going to go through the quick, quick draw Q&A. We've got a series of questions um, that I'll ask, uh, you know, specifically based around uh, archery. Uh, Micah is is really known for his, you know, archery, not only his gear, but his tactics and also his technical um, ability around understanding a lot of different types of systems and, and different types of, um, you know, pieces of equipment that whether it's stabilizers, whether it's sites, um, just a wealth of knowledge in the, uh, in the archery space. So anyway, we'll go through a list of a couple questions and, uh, Micah, just give me an answer and then we can kind of elaborate on some of them as we go. So in the archery world, um, are you prefer more of a recurve traditional or a compound archer? Uh, definitely a compound guy. Okay. Um, in terms of um, type of bow, would it be a Hoyt, Matthews, Prime, Elite, Martin, or PSE, in your opinion? Uh, the, the new and improved Martin bow. Okay. Broadhead, uh, fixed blade, or mechanical? So I think you and I, over the course of the weekend, got to talk about this. And um, you've kind of, you know, we talked, and obviously I'm a, I belong to kind of a, a big broadhead company um, that's, you know, that's snowballing and gaining a lot of ground and... Uh, I could kind of split the field on this because depending on where you're hunting, this specific broadhead, uh, some states consider it fixed and some consider it a mechanical. So I guess technically it's a hybrid. Okay. So the next question's 
kind of a null question because I'll ask you. So, what is your favorite type of broadhead? Uh, Ramcat broadhead. Ramcat broadhead. We'll probably be talking a little bit more about that. Um, in terms of a sight, would you prefer a single adjustable pin or multiple fixed pins or a combination of both? Um, so when I first started, it was uh, just multiple fixed. Um, then I came to realize that uh, farther shots, as I became a better archer, are um, you know you can accomplish that. And with doing that, a sliding multi-pin has seemed for me to be the most beneficial. Okay. In terms of your release, um, are you a, like a wrist wrap, trigger, index finger, a thumb, or a back tension release? I'm a trigger guy. Okay. Arrows, um, obviously, I think your uh, eastern or gold tip are probably not in your spectrum, but you're a uh, you're a victory shooter, right? Yes, yeah, okay. I shoot uh, shoot for victory in those guys. Okay, get into a little bit of gear here, real quick. Um, would you rather prefer a Chama or a Lano? I'd rather prefer not to answer. Okay, <laughs> no, it's um, ju- it just it, it kind of depends. But if I had to choose one for the variety of hunting that I do. Um, I would just, I would choose the, um, the Chama. Okay. Yep. Um, I don't know, in terms of vest, do you have any Springer vest or Uncompagre? Do you have a, a preference there? The Uncompagre, just because of the fact that, um, you know, if you unzip it, you can let out some heat, um, but layering underneath it makes it really nice, especially when you're, you know, different environments, you can keep your core, you know, okay. really warm. Yeah. Um, merino, hundred percent merino or arrow wool preference. So out here in the West, um, definitely arrow wool. Um, as we've kind of noticed over the past, you know, the course of this weekend, it's definitely something that, um, applies to our, us out here for sure. Yep. In this type of weather, it's mm-hmm. definitely the right material, uh, in terms of pattern, ASAT, fusion, dry earth, conifer, or cipher. Um, after this weekend. So yeah, based on this weekend, what do you think? Based on this weekend, um, cipher based on this weekend, what I saw, um, and being able to be out in this environment, um, in, in a dry climate out west, um, that cipher is absolutely no joke. Yeah. We'll, we'll post some photos in the show notes, but it was pretty incredible how that cipher blended in with, with, our, with our landscape here. Yeah, people were disappearing in uh, yeah, you know, we'll, 10, 10 yards from yeah, you. couldn't exactly. even find them. <laughs> they didn't know where we were. And then uh, lastly, um, if there was one piece of gear that you got in the field with that you just couldn't leave without in terms of first light gear, what comes to mind? I mean, what would that piece of gear be for you? So most people might think this is kind of odd, but for me, um, especially the type of hunting that I do, um, long distances, backcountry, um, a lot of time spending your feet, I would have to say without a doubt the compression socks from First Light. Okay. I've got a few of those compression socks, and I've noticed that it, at least when I wear them in the backcountry, um, you know, I don't cramp. My keeps my calves nice and tight. My Kenetrek boots, um, and even from a sweating standpoint, I mean, I wear the four hundred gram, gram insulated Kenetreks, and they get pretty hot. But those socks, I don't have to wear two different socks. Normally, I used to always have to wear like a liner and a, and a wool sock. But with that one sock, is really all I need in my boots. Yeah, I got I got into a bind this last year, uh, backcountry hunting uh, blacktails up in Northern California in the Trinity Mountains. <laughs> And um, one thing I experienced was, hey, look, I got to get this meat out. And I knew I had a long trek out. And it was basically from when I started hunting in the morning until 12 o'clock at night, I'd probably put over 25 miles on my boots and on my back. And having that that compression sock, um, literally, one, I didn't get any hot spots or even remote. I could literally feel the moisture coming right out of those socks and going where they're supposed to go. But more importantly, um, my lower legs, I didn't feel any fatigue in my lower legs. Yep. Now they're... A really great piece of first light gear. Okay, cool. So 
good getting to know you, Micah, a little bit, maybe just from a personal standpoint, um, maybe tell us just a little bit about, you know, who you are, you know, personal, you've got a great family life, work life, some of your, just some of your hobbies, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I, um, I lived here in uh, Northern California, been here for um, almost my whole life, and um, kind of just over the course of the last past probably 10 years, things started just snowballing for me, and my love of being out in the outdoors, my love of fishing and hunting and stuff grew so much that I found myself in my off time doing my family stuff, kind of, you know, partitioning that out so I can spend time with my family and and get into hunting and uh, and fishing and kind of having that, you know, bloom into something else. That's kind of my thing now is I'm avid and I am absolutely passionate about uh, hunting, particularly um, bow hunting. Yeah. So yeah, with, with that being said, you know, the family end of it, I have a uh, awesome wife and a four and a half year old kid who's going to be super stoked when he sees these uh, pig pictures. And like he asks about my bucks and blacktails on the wall and elk and stuff. And he wonders all the time what we're going to be eating. So now it's something else I can say, hey, buddy, guess what? Now you're going to eat pig. And, yeah. you know, that bacon that you like to eat, buddy, this is, here's your, here's, this is, dad got this. As and, good as it gets. Yeah. So with that, you know, it's, uh, I, I've been blessed. Um, she lets me get out and do my thing. And for those that know me, uh, I do a lot of stuff in the industry for a, a huge variety of companies. And, you know, I give it 110%. So um, she's been with me the whole time and supported me and, saw my growth with this and she knows it's something that um, I love to do and she knows it's something now that I have to do yeah you know? and that's important to have that support on that end to allow you to go to shows trade shows be gone obviously mm-hmm. testing gear in the fall and in time and that's that's the most important part you know what we do yep yep and along with that you know I do a lot of hiking uh, camping with the family um, that kind of thing. I'm not a big sports guy. I played a lot of it in high school, and I think it's one of those things that kind of got it out of my system, but it also shaped my personality and made me kind of grow into the person that I am now as far as, like, my physical capacity. I know how, how I can push myself. So that kind of thing is, you know, I'm big time into the gym and running trails and hiking and stuff like that. So Yeah. Thinking about kind of your background and being outdoors, and as we kind of talked, you talked about you kind of went about um, – kind of the hunting industry the opposite way so you, you did a lot of um kind of extreme backpacking as a kid you and your brother spent a lot of time in the mountains backpacking always trying to cut weight to you know find the lightest system and kind of then you found you know hunting and and so a lot of people go the other way and don't understand kind of the the backcountry packing and you know spending seven days on your back how important that is um, so you don't break down but maybe talk a little bit about what kind of shaped you into being a backpack, you know, backcountry type person and then kind of how that evolved into turning into a hunter. Yeah. So, um, you know, like, just like you said, Lucas, I kind of did things not the traditional way and that, that wasn't by choice. It's just kind of how it fell in my lap. You know, I, um, I started out backpacking a lot. I wanted to get out in the outdoors a lot, do a lot of stuff. And, uh, we started, my brother and I just started backpacking when I was about 16, kind of really got into it. And, uh, and, you know, by the time I was 21 years old, I had hiked every single national park in the West, um, put miles covering almost all the entire national park that we were in, um, running gear when I was like, I think I was about 18. I had a pair of Super Makalu Lost Portivas and nobody knew what they were and they were the hardest, baddest boots out and tore my feet up for a while. And once I broke them in, I knew that basically, you know, I'd just run and gun and you know, from there, kind of the gear thing kicked off to where I said, okay, this, I need to get specific, specific gear for 
what I'm going to do. And I, my brother and I started mulling things over and playing with ideas and trying to, you know, cut weight and do different stuff. I learned a lot about what it takes to hike and sleep in the backcountry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and thinking about, you know, having that background, I mean, that's obviously been an advantage for you, you know, starting to get into where you're backpacking into Northern California and going after blacktail deer. Um, clearly there's an advantage there having that background um, when you do these, you know, five to seven day hunts or you go up to Idaho and pack in and, and do some of these elk hunts. And do you find that you're just continually fine tuning your system uh, each year, each trip to try to find something lighter, or better? Or do you find that you kind of stick with the same routine when you go in and out of the mountains? Yeah, no, I always try to keep an open mind out there, um, whether someone else has something or I see something or um, maybe there's something that I thought about when I've been out in the outdoors and said, Hey, this would work and this wouldn't work. And that's what, one thing I love is the, um, you know, the innovation and people's ideas on how to get stuff in the backcountry and how to have it work for you. You know, so when I, you know, every time I've gone back there, it's always, you know, it's any, that's what I love about the outdoors. Anytime you go out and hunting in general too, you, you know, you learn so much regardless of the outcome of the day, you're, you're, Mm -hmm. you're always constantly learning. So that's yeah. one thing that I absolutely love. It seems like the industry that just the, the bar keeps getting raised higher and higher. So when a company comes out with the super light, ultra light, uh, you know, pack, another company comes out with one that's, you know, 10 ounces lighter that holds, you know, another 2000 cubic centimeters of, you know, of material. And it is, it is amazing to see um, all the manufacturers and how competitive the market is, uh, which I think to your point, the innovation in the industry is pretty neat because it's making all of us better, not only outdoorsmen, better hunters. And it's also, um, you know, driving those companies to always continuously improve, which I think is, is, is important. Oh yeah. You, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, that's that innovation in the fact that so many people in the hunting and, you know, archery rifle, you know, that community, the, the bar is always being raised. So, if you're in a step up to the plate as a competitor, you got to bring something new and innovative or it's kind of been there, done that. You yeah. know, we've already seen that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So Mike, I mean, the main reason why I think, you know, you and I connected and, and partly for this weekend um, is really around uh, this process around the First Light Pro staff group. So like I said, about a month or so ago, um, you had given me a call and said, hey, man, you're going to be receiving an email. Um, there's some pretty cool stuff happening, but I'd like to welcome you, you know, to the First Light Pro staff group, which, again, I was completely honored to, to accept that and, and uh, of course, very excited to see what this journey was going to be. But for you, um, as being the actual coordinator of all of the First Light Pro staff, um, maybe kind of walk us through your journey maybe kind of how that started a little bit and, and clearly what it's worked into today. Yeah. So, um, kind of, I was running, a running a, a booth at the, uh, NABA show about three years ago and, uh, didn't even, you know, just went there, set my booth up and this is actually for uh, Ramcat broadheads and, uh, you know, sole occupant of that booth. Um, so required to set it up, do all that stuff. Well, in the morning and, you know, you get a little bit of time before the, you know, the, the retail dealers get there and ask you, ask you questions and put in orders and stuff like that. Well, just to my left was, um, first light. And I was like, sweet. I get to hang out with first light all day. You know, I had a couple undergarments, pair of pants and stuff like that. And, um, at the time, you know, I was with, uh, I was pro staffing with, uh, Mossy Oak and, um, it was, you know, just a tight knit community. Um, like I said, I mentioned to you that I know Perry Crimmins and mm-hmm. him and I are good friends and, so, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, Ross Copperman was working. He does a lot of the, the, the field stuff with dogs and hunting and stuff like that. And 
So him and I became friends and he said, Hey, you know, you, you know, you, you seem like you might fit with first light. Let me, you know, talk to Ford and Ford's the guy. So, uh, I gave Ford a, um, <clears throat> gave Ford a call and him and I kind of hit it off and I told him about, you know, some of my visions and views and, you know, what I do, you know, and how, how I think that, you know, I think that, you know, first lights, the, you know, the greatest cl- clothing company out there. And, um, I love their stuff. And he just said, Hey, you might be a fit for us. Maybe it's something we could talk about. So that, you know, that bloomed and grew into something else. And, uh, I became a, you know, a pro staffer for him out here in California and, um, you know, just putting the gear to gear to use, you know, if you're going to sweat and you're going to sweat on summer hunts, you're going to sweat in California mm-hmm. chasing these blacktails. And it's, uh, kind of like what we were talking about. It's, uh, some days it can be no joke. It's almost unbearable and you got to push yourself through it and you got to, more importantly, you got to have the right gear to do it. And I've already worn some of their stuff. And so, like I said, when that opportunity came, I, man, it was just like, just kind of like what you said, it's absolute, you know, humbling and blessing that, yeah. you know, that you're asked to do something like that. So, yeah. And you talk about the conditions here. I, I think about, you know, in another two weeks, we'll be chasing blacktails here in a zone and, and, you know, where we hunt, um, it'll be 105 degrees, you know, going into, you know, one, two o'clock in the afternoon. There's not a lot of movement with the deer in the afternoon, but even around that six and seven o'clock time, you start getting into that last golden hour, it can still be 95 to 97 degrees, mm-hmm. you know, and it just takes it out of you. But having equipment that um, enables you to last, uh, you know, not only from a, um, um, you know, dependability standpoint, but also the inherent abilities that Merino Wool and Arrow will have. And we're going to talk to some of that for us, make it a game changer out here in, the, in this environment because it's not like hunting you know, in Colorado in November where you're dealing with snow, you're trying to figure out how many layers you need, you know, and, yep. and then basing layers so you're not sweating too much. But here it's like you're basically at a base layer here uh, and you're still, you know, sweating like crazy because it's so hot. So it it is. This this gear um, is definitely no joke. It, it's, it's the real deal. And, um, again, totally excited to continue to test new gear and wear the existing gear and, and, uh, and you know, really represent the brand. So looking at um, the pro staff group, um, you know, as being the coordinator, and you and I talked a little bit this weekend, um, you know, talking about, you know, how many folks applied to do this and how many were selected, um, which is a pretty small group, you know, based on how many people were applying. Um, In your eyes, what do you look for? Or, you know, when you've got 500 resumes sitting on your desk of people that have done all kinds of stuff from outdoors, fishing, hunting, you know, rock climbing, you name it, you know, First Light's really uh, kind of a universal brand for a lot of different um, um, sports out there. What are some things or attributes that you're looking for to say, yep, he's my guy, or you know what, probably that's probably not the right person? What are some things that you think are important? Yeah, uh, to me, one of the one of the biggest things for me, is, especially, you know, going back to what we were talking about, you know, when I was younger doing sports and stuff like that, was I was always a huge team guy. Like, I loved being in team sports. I loved that team concept. So um, for me, with doing the, some of the stuff with these other companies, it's it was always like, man, this this is a great team. These, these guys contribute. They're bouncing ideas off each other. They're coming up with new ideas, new ways to do stuff, new, new ways to talk to shop owners, that kind of thing. So when it comes to what, I, what I'm looking for and, you know, in First Light as a whole, we want people that are out there in the field talking to people, showing them gear, that kind of thing. Um, guys and gals that present themselves in an upstanding manner, ma- you know, manner when they're talking to shop owners, that kind of thing. Guys and gals that are out looking, 
you know, going to banquets and basically, you know, giving, giving back. Cause that's my, the other thing is I'm a, I'm a huge advocate in giving back. We take so much as for, for, you know, for granted as hunters, um, anything you do to give back to what you've done is, is absolutely huge. So, um, you know, kind of someone that if I can click with them and I see some of the same things that, that I always wanted to do as a staffer and they have like a good variety of those things, it's, you know, some, sometimes it becomes a no brainer. It's like, mm-hmm. that's the guy, that's the gal that, I, that, that first light needs. That's who, who we want to drive this forward. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So looking at the the process for the, the recent, um, um, coordination that you went through, how many total applicants were in the, in the group here recently? Well, for, you know, cause it was split up, you know, for social media, field photography. Um, you know, I, I was, I was selected obviously for the pro staff portion of it. And, um, I literally and physically mentally read through over 450 applications from, um, start to finish. So if someone had, you know, all, all the banquets they went to, you know, all the things they did, um, where they grew up, I, I mean, I read so many amazing life stories in these things and, it'd be easy just to skip over that application. But when you're reading about these people, you kind of get a, it's almost like you have a tangible grasp on who they are, not just some other person in another state that wants to get onto a program. This is a, this is a person who, who in some way, shape or form you think for sure could definitely fit and connect with first light. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about when you wear like the ambassador um, title or, you know, whether it's an ambassador for a company, an ambassador, um, you know, like in a public setting, when you're when you're supporting something, I, um, there's a lot of honesty, integrity that goes with that, you know, and and, and finding people, and it's got to be tough reading, um, you know, 450 resumes and trying to pull out, you know, well this guy has this, this guy has that, and a lot of it you're probably basing on, you know, what somebody tells you, um, and who knows what they're telling you mm-hmm. is actually you know valid information, but. Um, how long did that process take you to go through a lot of those uh, applications? I would say that it probably took me close to, you know, doing it by myself, you know, for the most part, you know, Fortnite, this kind of, this kind of bloomed a little bit later as far as, Hey, let's put this together. And then a lot of ideas sprang up about how we're going to do this, how we're going to set up the format, um, the spreadsheets and this, and that's, so we can keep track of these folks. It ended up, you know, being a, not a daunting task, but something that I've never experienced before. And, um, something that I absolutely loved, loved to do when I got into it, I told Fort, I said, Hey, look, this is absolutely awesome. I'm having such a good time, but just, just bear with me because this is taking, a, I'm not just going to read over someone, you know, say, I don't know someone from a state. I'm not going to read over the thing just cause, um, you know, I don't know them or, you know, I, maybe there's some gear they have that I've never, you know, it's not like that. It was reading every you know, every Excel block about mm-hmm. that person. Um, like I said, it, it's almost like I got to know them. So, yeah. you know, going back to, you know, skimming through stuff as far as like, say you're looking for, you know, this guy does this or this gal does that, like a, a good balance between being in the field, um, talking to people, talking to shop owners, um, you know, representing the brand. Well, maybe they, they have or haven't done events, um, that kind of thing. So it's just a, a big multitude, um, of things. So cool. So kind of transitioning a little bit, talking more about um, the actual gear. So, you know, First Light's been in business, you know, I want to say for, you know, seven to eight years. I've been buying their gear since like 2010. Um, That was when I got my first set of Canab ASAP pants. But now in like 17, um, they've really been, you know, transitioning their mindset 
Marina Wool still has always been the base product uh, in, in First Lights. You know, basically that's what that's what put them on the map. But you're seeing now, um, you know, the corrugate uh, in the arrow wools and some of the synthetic fibers being being dropped in. But maybe talk a little bit about it. So you've got both sets, the corrugate, the shorts, uh, and the pants. And maybe in, in in transition with like the obsidian, you know, what's some of the subtle differences between those products? Yeah, so like the corrugate, a lot of people don't realize that the corrugate, it literally, it feels like almost like a spandex type material. And, but what it does is it allows you to go between climate changes without having any heat buildup, anything like that. But one of the cool things that I found out in talking with Ford and really digging into the corrugates before, you know, before I wore them was uh, the fact that they, it takes between like 12 and 13 pounds of water pressure to move through this fabric. So if you're out, say you're out elk hunting and it just snowed or it just rained, but then it's going to be a sunny day and you're waiting for that rain to melt off. These would be the pants you want because when you're walking through it, tall grass and stuff and, and bushes, it's not going to be enough to press through the pant. But when you sit down on like a wet rock or a log, that's when you're going to, you know, obviously have problems with mm-hmm. water and, you know, and getting a little bit wet. But uh, that's like, you know, kind of my go-to when the temperatures change and there's a possibility of light rain or something like that. That's where these corrugates shine. And then the obsidian pants. So... You and I both have, you know, quite a few pairs of obsidian pants. How would you compare those to the initial kind of the canab, like the generation one canabs versus these obsidian pants now? Um, I would probably say that these new obsidians, if for anybody that hasn't gotten into them, get into them. I think they're basically a cross between a canab and a corget, almost like on steroids. It's a, it's a fantastic pant. Um, it's got pockets everywhere. It stretches in all the right places that you need it to stretch in as, as a hunter, whether you're sitting down, you're stalking, you're crouched over. Um, it's, it's absolutely a great pant. And I think that first light hit the nail on the head with this pant for sure. Yeah. I've been very impressed wearing them here. And for me, I think it's, it's, they're starting to get more of into that somewhat of an ultralight type of um, you know, system, um, not to compete with some of the other ultralight companies out there, but I've noticed these obsidian pants, um, fit me a lot like, um, just a regular, almost like a regular tight fitting jean, which my canabs in the past seemed to be always kind of baggy, mm-hmm. always in the front. Um, you know, I always had to order an extra size bigger just for my thighs, typically in my waist, but these obsidians seem to fit, um, much tighter uh, and uh, fit a lot more like an ultralight type of pant. Yeah, they, they definitely do. And it's kind of interesting today, you know, for, for the viewers that are going to listen to this, it's uh, I'm uh, just about your size. And I got Ford sent me a pair of the largest to, uh, to try and, and, and run and gun. And they were definitely a little bit baggy, but it, it, the way that this material works, it's not loud. It's not swishy. I didn't catch it on anything. And I could definitely go into the mediums, and that's what I'm going to end up getting. And I think that's what's going to fit best for me. But that just goes to show you that these pants, you know, they just flat out work. And if you're wearing something like that, it's not becoming saggy, especially when it's already too big. Um, you're still comfortable in it. Mm-hmm. And I could literally say, hey, I could, I could wear the largest. That wouldn't be a problem. But the, the mediums would probably fit me the way that a pair of pants should, should fit yeah. me. But, you know, having that flexibility in that, those pants and having as hot as we were in and not feeling any heat buildup, you know, in my legs or my crotch, it was absolutely awesome. Yeah, and, and one of the other things, just the pocket designs, the built-in corrugate system around the waist and around mm-hmm. the, the bottom of the boots, I think as they continue to 
kind of raise the bar like that, you're just starting to see more innovation in this product that starts to meet, to me, it sets it apart from a lot of its competition. Oh, for sure. Like we were, you know, we were talking about, you know, I explained to you on the, on the, like the Canabs, they had that metal tab button that kind of stuck there. Well, one time I was leaning into rock when I was glassing up some blacktails and, uh, I, I thought for, I thought, you know, I was like, am I leaning into something on like the rock or, you know, and I looked down and it was the metal tab. And so got back from the hunt and talked to Ford and said, Hey, look, this is, you know, something that I've experienced. And, uh, you know, it was great to be able to roll those pants up and hook it to that metal tab. Mm-hmm. And now the obsidians came out with like a metal tab button. So that's not going to be an issue anymore. And yeah. being, being hot and sitting there glassing and being able to roll your pants up or, yeah. you know, if you're going to hike through a Creek or water line, being able to roll your pants up and not have them fall down. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a like I said this this pants could be a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm <laughs> excited to need to wear them and uh just excited to see, you know, how well they hold up. I'm pretty certain I've I still have my original set of ASAC Canabs that I bought. I think I got for Christmas in like 2010 or 2011. So mm. they've been beat up pretty good, but you know, I could still wear them. I could still go out and hunt in them. So pretty yep. impressive uh the quality of of that gear. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, so, you know, this weekend, um, you know, we were kind of trying out a couple different types of patterns, but I think after seeing you yesterday, uh, in the new cipher pattern, uh, camel pattern, and as we were up, um, kind of in some of that oak scrub and chaparral and Okatia type, um, landscape, um, I had to stop and literally take some photos of you as you kind of recessed back into one of those chaparral trees because I could not believe how well that the cipher pattern from a three-dimensional standpoint broke up um, basically your pattern and your silhouette uh, in your body. So maybe you can talk a little bit about um, some of the technology behind cipher mm-hmm. uh, and, and really to me how it's become, it could be a game changer uh, in, in this type of topography and landscape that we hunt in. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, you know, obviously everyone's familiar, that's familiar with the first light. They know about fusion and that, that pattern is absolutely, it's, it's, it's the real deal. And, uh, going out and hunting in that, um, for those of you who haven't experienced it, you need to get a set because that'll cross all kind of genres of environments. Well, this cipher pattern was the first, my first experience. I've had my hands on it, looked at it, but this is my first experience it in, you know, putting it into the field and, um, kind of relating with what you're talking about. You know, same thing, you know, I looked at you today and I got, I got your version of it today looking at you, you know, like you were looking at me and literally it does in this, in this type of dry Western climate out West, whether you're elk hunting and, you know, out, you know, out West or perfect example this weekend, this whole weekend in uh, central California, um, that pattern literally breaks up your human silhouette and it doesn't matter if you're out in the open. It doesn't matter if you're up against what, like what we we're talking about, that chaparral type stuff. Mm-hmm. And then what's interesting is because it has so many lights and darks, that's why it works. When you get up, you know, whatever you're looking at, when you're looking at a, a, you know, like one of those chaparral, like we were talking about, you look at a little shrub bush and it's out in the sun. Well, there's always going to be shade somewhere in that. So, um, when you put yourself next to that stuff, you're absolutely, you obliterate the human outline. It's it's absolutely gone. And that's one of the things I noticed, like I've always kind of been partial to having greens uh, in my patterns because normally um, the places that I backpack hunt in, um, you know, Montana, places like that, there's still a lot of green, but 
um, you know, I even noticed in certain areas um, where we were getting into some, you know, the chaparral, which is green, some of the oak scrub. Um, this stuff works really well, even in environments that have green. Um, so it doesn't seem like it's necessary because it's it's basically there's no green or any type of olive color in the cipher pattern. It's basically um, dark browns, um, okay. kind of grays, blacks, uh, and there's no green in the pattern, yeah. which to me is interesting, the design of the pattern. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that sets uh, First Light apart is the fact that it uses so many features, like the light and dark. It uses small, medium textures. It uses craculature, which breaks significant portions of that pattern up. It separates. It's it's not one continuous thing. So, if, you know, if it's fooling our eyes and we're moving, imagine being stationary and having maybe eyes on, that don't pick up depth perception that well, like most animals, mm -hmm. but movement. So if you're not moving, I mean, like we were talking about, 10 feet away, in chaparral and full sunlight, you're losing people. Yeah. You and know? I, we, it was kind of the joke, but it was like, hey, where did Micah go? Because you literally go from standing um, to kneeling down. And, you know, if you're not paying attention or knew where you were, it would take you probably a few seconds to try to figure out exactly and pinpoint where your location was. Because I noticed that too. And what's awesome about that is, you know, you know, bringing that into light, you got to think about where you're at. You're in chaparral country, so there's a lot of broken up spaces. It's not like you're in heavy, dark timber. So you're losing people and trying to find your partner where he's at, glassing or whatever. And you're in, say, a you know circumference of like 20 yards, and there may be like maybe 10 chaparral things, you know, little mm -hmm. bundles of it or yeah. whatever, or small scrub oak, and you're losing people. Yeah. And that's, that's like I said, kind of kind out in the open a little bit. Sure. You know, and humans have decent eyesight. I mean... We're hunting pigs this weekend, and they don't have the best eyesight. I mean, they see movement, but, um, you know, beyond that, they don't have very good eyesight. But I noticed um, on both of your stalks, both mornings, um, you know, even stalking, um, you know, in and out of the locations we were in, um, it was hard for me to kind of break out, you know, some of the, the light grass colors uh, in your pattern. And then when you started to kind of fade into some of those areas before you were shooting, I could, if it's fooling me and we all have pretty good eyesight. I can imagine what it's doing to these animals, which, you know, we're basically sneaking in within 35, 40 yards of these animals, um, somewhat open landscape. Um, and you're still able to do that in this pattern. That, that to me is what really mm -hmm. drove it home to me that this pattern is for real. And I think the, the kicker kind of to that with what you're saying is the fact that you and I, we know we're there. Those animals, hopefully, they don't know we're there. Yeah. So that's the other thing. If we know each other are there and we're still losing you, um, that, you know, that goes, that speaks volumes about sure. what you're wearing. Yeah. So. Um, and just lastly, uh, in 2017, um, the Kokona technology came out. Um, it's more of a kind of a moisture wicking, um, evaporative, um, you know, type of fabric or material. Maybe talk a little bit about um, some of the lines that um, is included in and in really, I guess, from a technology standpoint, what is it doing? What is it trying to do versus probably what Merino's done, which mm -hmm. takes water, spreads it out versus actually helps it evaporate? Yeah. So, you know, going back on the Merino thing, it's like you, everyone talks about why their grandparents wore it because it works. It, you know, it, granted, it, it, it stunk and smelled like the wet dog, but it Merino works. Mm -hmm. And so when you get a company like First Light that makes the top, top, top of the line articles of clothing out of the best material Merino wool you can get, um, you know, you have the ability to dissipate heat and trap heat. Well, when you bring a, a, a product like that Kokona 37.5 into it, basically what you're doing is you're electri electrically, sta statically charging that material with body heat, your infrared, your IR heat signature. 
So in the vapor stage, what that stuff does, and kind of going along with what we're talking about with products that say the arrow wool stuff, it actually, the merino wool is already doing its thing. It's not letting bacteria build up. It's, you know, it's trapping heat. It's, um, you know, tra trapping cold, trying to trap cold air, cool you down. But that Kokona will actually grab vapor before it actually materializes and turns to water and shoves it out of the clothing so that you don't build up any moisture on your skin. The harder you work, the harder that stuff works. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely phenomenal. And what's cool is that literally how it gets its name. It talks about how the average person basically tries to maintain an ideal body temp mm -hmm. of 37.5 degrees Celsius, Celsius. which is 98.5% Fahrenheit mm -hmm. or degrees Fahrenheit. But, um, and what it's trying to do is it's, it's trying to manage, continually manage that temperature. So if you're in a cold climate, it's giving you more warmth. If you're obviously in a hotter climate, it's trying to take that water and evaporation in away from the body to man just basically body manage or thermoregulate that system mm -hmm. at 37.5 degrees, which to me, it's cool when you want to really understand the meaning behind the name and what it's really trying to do. And the fact that it's, uh, it's unlike some, some products that were, you know, developed and used in the past, this Kakona is, is active. It, it's charged the whole time. It's, it's, there's no heating it up in a dryer. There's none of that stuff. It's, it's the whole time. And what makes this system even better is it actually works better with more layers. It just draws it out into the next layer and then kicks it out and kicks it out, which obviously everyone knows when you're out hunting, the worst part about being in, you know, say subpar clothing is that that stage, that initial stage where that vapor, that vapor you're building, you know, coming out of your skin is starting to turn to moisture. Nobody likes that. Mm -hmm. But if you can get that moisture away from your skin as fast as possible, you can hunt longer. You can stay out in the field longer. You know, your, your, your body's happy. You're mentally happy. You feel better. So mm -hmm. that's the, that's the thing with Kakona. And, and it's like, I always say, you know, you have your Merino wool and that's like your, say that's like your army on the field. Well, now you have this arrow wool with Kakona. It's like the movie 300. That's your army. It's mm -hmm. literally, it's, that's how, that's the difference. It's, it's taking that wool and it, and everything that it does and all the great stuff that it does and gives it now that extra, boost to, to really move in hot, hot climates. Mm -hmm. Looking at the, um, the products. So, uh, in what lines of, um, you know, different systems can you find the cocoon? I know it's not in everything the first light offers, but what are some of the common pieces of garments that the cocoon, uh, is, is offered in? Yeah, you can find, like I said, in, in, you know, in like all the arrow wool stuff and okay. then it's, you know, it's in some of the jackets and stuff like that. But for us out here, like I said, that arrow wool is, the, that's the stuff, you know, get, having that ability to have that in there and, and, and move that vapor, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and like I said, it's not it's not in all of it, but and there's a reason why because some of it's meant not not meant for super hot temperatures. You yeah, know, you, where you where you technically you maybe say you you don't need it. You know, it's but it, it's it, it's in the uh, articles that you do. So, okay, <laughs> going back, you know, like you said, back when your you know grandparents or you hunted with your dad, I my dad always hunted with the Army Navy wools. You know, that that you'd go to the Army Navy store and get the wool pants and had the bright orange, you know, wool sweaters, uh, and, you know, and that stuff wasn't merino wool. That was just your, your, you know, your standard wool garments that were, you know, mass produced, you know, back in the days when, um, you know, our guys were overseas, you know, fighting in these areas that required them to have, you know, warm clothing also in temperatures where they could wear something that would help regulate their body temperature. But thinking and talking about merino wool, um, you know, it's inherently got scent control to it. Um, 
you know, there's virtually no sound to it, which to me, a lot of the new ultralight companies that are putting out gear, when they're walking, uh, you can hear, um, you know, the pant legs rubbing together, swishing, um, swishing the mm-hmm. sound. I mean, Merino wool essentially has no sound to it. The other, um, you know, attribute to me that is really critical is there's no shine to it. So mm-hmm. some of these um, ultralight poly fabrics, when the sun hits them, they almost glitter in the sun and shine. Whereas I was noticing today multiple times looking at the cipher pattern, there's no shine to this. So basically what you get is you get a garment that doesn't smell, doesn't shine, and is virtually, you know, soundproof. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, looking at merino wool, um, you know, and thinking about it, um, you know, what do you think uh, is something, uh, obviously the advantage of having merino wool, but, um, you know, what do you think in terms of, uh, you know, merino wool, using merino wool overall versus some of the other fabrics out there on the market? Well, you kind of, you know, you, you hit on a lot of the points. Um, the biggest thing about merino wool, and I think we were joking about around about it when I first showed up um, a couple days ago, and we were talking about, um, you know, just why people use merino wool and why it works. Um, there's, a, you know, there's a bunch of reasons why it works. And the biggest thing to me is the fact that its ability to basically release heat in it it's almost like a like almost like if you're looking at like a pine cone. That's what I that's the way I kind of describe it to people. It's like a pine cone. When it gets cold outside, those shells actually shut on themselves and trap heat. When it's hot, those shells open up and release release that heat so that you can keep keep a- actively moving and dissipating heat away from your body. And to me, that's like I said, that's that's absolutely huge. But more importantly to me is the fact that man hasn't come up with any kind of fiber that can beat that. There's a reason why wool is the best thing. The reason why First Light has the top top wool there is because it, it it's the best thing on the market. It's the best thing that works. Yeah, it works. It, that's like one of the adages I always heard. It's, you know, they can hear you twice. They can see you once. But if they smell you, you know, they're gone. I think about elk hunting uh, and in trying to beat their eyes is tough, you know, obviously sound, if they're with a lot of other cows, you know, you know, a tree branch breaker here, there may not, you know, jump them out of their bed or jump them out of the area. But once you see that nose go in the air, mm-hmm. uh, and if you feel some of that wind combine, you know, the back of your ears and move forward, um, you know, one time and they're gone, but Merino, you know, covers that scent up. And I think it's, it's amazing how, you know, the wool absorbs um, a lot of the moisture in your body and it, and it inherently in the fabric, there's no spray ons, there's no additives to it. It just inherently does that. Uh, and, uh, I, I, you know, I've been using Merino wool for many years. Uh, and, uh, I think as hunters, we all know the importance of what Merino wool brings to the table. Uh, and also really around the, the human odor element. Yeah, and then you know, obviously, human odor. That's that's basically because you have a over an overload of um, you know skin particles and moisture buildup. So what merino does is it does not let you you know basically that that moisture buildup. You don't even get in that state because it's already pushing heat throughout the fabric. And like I said, it's it's really it's opening the, that shell up and releasing heat where other fabrics they can't do that. Like you know, they just trap heat. So, yep, their socks are. I love the merino socks. Yep. Um, they're super cozy. Well, kind of like what we were talking about. It's, you know, if when you ask me that question, what's my favorite piece of gear? Um, I bet you, you know, anybody out there, there, there might be some that, some that would be like, yeah, I'd say the same thing. But um, when you think about it, you know, that, that the, those socks and what, what those compression socks do. And like I said, that's my favorite piece. And there's a reason for it mm-hmm. is, you know, your feet when you're hunting, 
if you if those if those aren't going forward, you're not going anywhere. It doesn't yeah. matter what you're wearing. So yeah, I've always said, you know, why would you spend all this money on all this gear and spend you know a hundred dollars on a pair of boots when the first thing that's going to break down are your feet? And yep. And by the that most time, in, yeah. And the most important thing underneath that boot is your sock. Yeah. And the most important thing underneath that sock is your foot. Yeah. So it's interesting talking. I I listen to a lot of podcasts with guys that get get really techy with gear and. Um, you know, guys that hunt, you know, over in um, Asia for, you know, Aragali sheep and Ibex. And, you know, some go with the double sock, some go with the single sock, um, some go with a liner um, to allow them to absorb some of that sweat. But with Merino, you don't need that. Technically, you need one sock. Uh, and for the most part, it'll absorb the sweat. Um, and you said, like with the compression socks, it, it continues to allow that blood flow in your legs to mm-hmm. ensure, um, you know, your feet don't get cold or they mm-hmm. don't start cramping up. And, you're right. I mean, socks, in my opinion, are probably one of the most, the silent killer if you don't get them right or do it right for sure on the yeah, bottom. Yeah, it's definitely probably, for those that are thinking about it and new to, new to getting into that type of hunting, it's probably one of the, the least looked at. That's why we're talking about people swap socks and they build footbeds up and they do this and that. And we'll, if you talk to people that say they went on their first backcountry hunt and they went on a big, long hike and they said, man, I had problems, the first thing that comes to my mind is i let me guess, you got blisters. Mm-hmm. And I've been there, done that. Like when we were talking about how I first started this venture back in the, you know, back when I was about 16 or 17 doing the, the, the hardcore backcountry trekking stuff. Um, that's one of the first things I learned was, dude, and they tell you in the military, you know, military, that's the story. Take care of your feet. If you don't take care of those, you, you yeah, yep. you're not going anywhere. So mama's not happy. Anybody's happy. If the feet aren't happy, then yep. it's going to make for a rough time on the mountain. For sure. I, uh, just a a sidebar story when i went to new zealand and harvested that red stag on the wall i spent six days straight going after that animal and i could never get close enough to him and it was interesting being in an area where um, i'm literally glassing down looking at um you know these sheep in in new zealand um, and thinking about you know a lot of this wool that we use comes from these sheep in that country Uh, and i was i was spending six days chasing that animal and sweating my butt off. Uh, and my guide at the time kept asking me about, you know, the gear and what it was. Cause over there, um, you know, it's Walmart quality style equipment. A lot of these guys were, I mean, you know, companies like first light and Sitka and all these other ones, that's somewhat foreign to them unless someone comes from the States and says, Hey man, here's a hat or, you know, here's a jacket mm-hmm. from this company. Um, but it was really neat, um, talking to him about, um, you know, this garment that I'm wearing right now, probably I would say 90 plus percent confidence that the material and fabric from this garment probably came from somewhere in this country, mm-hmm. um, you know, from sheep in, in New Zealand. So it was kind of cool, uh, to, to be able to not only talk about it, um, uh, but be in an area where it's almost kind of like where it comes full circle, you know, oh, yeah, where you've yeah. got the sheep there that produce the fabric and here mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's on your back while you're trudging after these animals. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And you kind of have like a, you can kind of correlate to that. It's like anything that's here, especially in like the U S as consumers, you know, we have a lot of stuff that's shipped in a lot of stuff that's shipping out and you have trucks and stuff from all over the place. You know, you wear an article of normal clothing, um, you know, when I say normal, I mean like conventional clothing. It's been on a truck I don't know how many times. So you're thinking, where did this come from and whose hands? But going there, you're basically at the source of yeah. you know, where the finest finest material comes from that First Light uses. Yeah. Sheep and, and, and wool is obviously a big deal in, in New Zealand. But from what I found, uh, they're like, yeah, we do a lot, export a lot of wool, but 
milk was their, actually their number one export. So I yeah, thought that was kind of interesting. That's, yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. And kind of going back to, you know, the, the, the sheep thing, you know, these critters are walking around and, and you, you look at them and they're, they're eating, they're doing their normal thing, you know, going to the bathroom, whatever. And you look at them and you're thinking to yourself, like, that's just an animal walking around. Why can't man yet make a better material than what's on that thing's back because mm-hmm. it because of how well that thing how well it works you know yeah. it's, it's awesome yeah so this weekend has been um, for me it's been really fun um, not only like I say I got to meet you you know personally and talk a little more on on a level where we could talk a little bit about the company and um, you know its offerings and and just kind of how the process works but. Um, you enlightened me on some stuff this weekend, uh, and I got to see it happen firsthand this morning, um, which is this broadhead that you're using. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I know we don't, we're not, um, you know, we really want to spend a lot of time, you know, plugging the broadhead. But I think it's important to understand that um, you basically turned me into a believer uh, in a matter of about two days on a, on a broadhead that I had never even heard of. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know if there's anything you want to share uh, about this broadhead that um, you basically waylaid that hog in and about 40 yards and, and uh, he lasted probably about two minutes. Yeah, he, um, yeah, he definitely, definitely, we could tell he was, you know, once he got into that chaparral, it was done. He was just, you know, we can, you can hear him spinning around. If you hunt, you know what, what that sounds like when animals get into brush. It doesn't go anywhere. It sounds in one, it stays in one spot and it's just circular. The movement, they're basically expiring. So, um, yeah, I shoot, uh, and I, that was actually the first company that I started doing stuff for. And the first, first company that I actually attached myself to, um, I'm still great friends with, uh, Brett and Chris Fulton, um, and, uh, like all the companies I do stuff for, um, I'd sell my heart and soul for that company. And, um, I believe in that broadhead 110%. I've tested it. I've had some of the best shooters in the world shoot it out to distance. Um, we've flattened everything from huge bull elk to really big high mountain, high mountain blacktail at long distances. And, um, you know, you guys got to see what, what happened today and I'm not shooting a particularly fast bow. I have a short draw length and my arrows are one thing I wanted to do is check out, you know, just lightweight arrow flight path. And, you know, you guys got to see two holes put in one side of, you know, both sides of that, that pig. And it's not a cut, it's a hole through it. And there's mm-hmm. a reason why. So without plugging Ramcat anymore, any of you guys that are interested, get online and check it out. And, yeah. You know, there's a reason why it's the, you know, the deepest penetrating best flying broadhead that's ever uh ever came out i would recommend a guy just goes to youtube or google and yeah. and types in ramcat and then starts looking at some of the the 30 to 40 second videos because generally from the time the animal comes in the shot happens and in less than 30 seconds all that happens and the animals already expired at least from the the videos that we watched here over the weekend yeah it's the it's the like we were going back to your questions earlier it's a it's a it's a hybrid. I consider it a fix because um, there's no deployment on the blades. It's not a mechanical, but some states consider it a mechanical, like Idaho, because the blades actually rotate. Um, when I say rotate, there's no deployment. It just rotates forward, and there's a cutting edge on the back. So um, if the animal doesn't, it sticks or something like that, which we haven't had, you know, really had any problems with that, um, it can cut on the way back out or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely check it out. Um, the nastiest thing I've ever seen. And uh, like I said, I've been with this for a long time, and my heart and souls with them as far as a broadhead, um, broadhead company. And, um, it's hands down the best thing that I've ever seen. Yeah. So coming down here, you know, you and I were planning this for, um, you know, almost a month and I, I told you, Hey man, I got to get you down here and hunt some pigs. Mm -hmm. And, 
and you've hunted pigs before and, and we won't really get into some of the past experiences, but I, I know you, you were kind of probably thinking, well, I've kind of had a bad experience doing this. I'm probably not sure what I'm going to get into, but having had an experience in the past and going through what you went through this weekend, is it, you know, what's your thoughts around, you know, pig hunting in California and did it, did it change your perception maybe from doing it in other States and, and how other areas may do it? Yeah. Um, what I, granted we were hunting, um, private land, but it's, it's private land in the fact that someone owns that parcel, but the animals still have the ability to leave and come and go when they want. Um, they have the ability to eat where they want. So um, with that being said, it's to me, it's, it's kind of like without the borders that you put on who owns that property, it's, it's fair chase. It's, mm-hmm. it's you make all the decisions. If they want to leave, they're leaving. If, if they don't like something, they're out. It's not like they're starved or they're forced to go eat someplace. Mm-hmm. And you know that they're going to be in that square footage, you know, 10 square feet. That's where they're going to eat every single night or day or something like that. So um, it was, an, dude, an absolute blessing. I can't thank you guys enough to, for having me out. And it was absolutely awesome. Yeah, it was fun being behind you. And it's always fun for me because um, you told me you'd never harvest a pig. So, you know, when people tell me, hey, I've never shot an elk, I've never shot a deer, I've never shot a pig, to me it's 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 a burning desire in me to say, okay, we're going to get this person, that animal, because yeah. I want to see the reaction. I want to see, um, you know, it, it, it's so cool anytime you take the first animal uh, because you've never experienced that before. You've never had that experience, whereas I've, I've had that experience and I've also seen other people have that experience. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, it was cool because I was basically with you there right behind your shoulder with a video camera um, watching you go through the motions uh, and, and clearly you made it happen this morning. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your story this morning uh, just to kind of to, to tee that discussion up. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, the stalking portion of it, I think I have it. Um, I think that's just ingrained from doing so much blacktail stalking. But what sets this uh, this critter apart from those guys is kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Um, they're never in the same spot for more than two seconds. You range them, you got them at 68 yards and set your range finder down. They move down the hill five feet and you can then, then, turn, then they start fighting or biting at each other. And then next thing you know, the one you just had ranged 10 seconds ago is now at 40 yards. So um, being able to, you know, if I had to tell somebody, hey, get ready to range stuff and be able to range fast and say, okay, I, I would know from if he's at 65 yards, I, I, I'll have a good idea where 60, 60 yards is or where 55 yards is because um, unlike hunting blacktail or something like that where you can sneak in on them, most of the time I found that deer and elk and stuff, unless they're feeding in a hurry to get away from something and they're still eating, they'll stay in the same spot, you know, and they won't move a whole lot. They'll just eat and kind of meander, take a couple steps, eat, meander. Where these pigs, they just hop around and spin and get nasty and jump. And yeah, it's one thing I learned this weekend. If I learned anything, it's that pigs don't stay in the same spot for too long at all. Yeah. And it, unfortunately, I think the stigma a lot of people see is is the, the high fence hunting in Texas where mm-hmm. they literally box them into a ranch that's, you know, 300 acres and people go out and shoot, you know, shoot them at helicopters or they sit and sit them, you know, and shoot them over feeders and stuff like that. And you know, when people come here, they're like, oh, you know, it's pig hunting. I'm like, well, it is, but you're right, it is. It's really fair chase. It's do-it-yourself. Mm-hmm. You can spot them right even before first light, and next thing you know, you're looking, and 300 yards away, they're, you know, traversing up the side of this hill, getting ready to go in bed. So it's not like, um, you know, there's any limitations or restrictions. I mean, the sky's the limit when it comes to hunting these California pigs here in, in, it, in this state. Yeah, and, and and then you add, you know, you add this kind of rolling terrain to it, and and how fast they move from from one 
like one kind of small environment to the next. When it's time to go, it's time to go. Those things string up and good luck getting in front of them. They, yeah. they remind me of, they obviously not, they don't move as fast, but they remind me of the way the elk move. When it's time to move, they're gone and getting in, getting in front of these things. And you know, you and I are in great shape and we're sprinting after them. And, and it's still, it's like, oh man, I think they beat us. Yeah. So yeah, I have a great, you know, newfound respect for pig hunting and, like I said, it, you know, it was a pleasure coming down, and it was absolutely awesome. Yeah. No, it's it was a lot of fun. It was neat to see your first experiences. Neat to be there, um, you know, when we got in the brush, and Brad spotted the pig, and we knew it was done. And I, I, was, I wasn't nervous going in there after what I had seen all weekend with these broadheads, mm-hmm. um, but I also wasn't 100% certain, you know, where you'd hit the animal. We mm-hmm. didn't see the full pass-through, which, you know, we were kind of expecting to see. Uh, but nonetheless, that arrow and that broadhead did its job. Um, um, what was mm-hmm. it? 48 or 50 yards, I think was the shot. And yeah, made, I think it was just about 50, I think cause it was our last range. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and just made short of full pass. I mean, we had essentially full pass cause the feral had come out on the, you know, it exited on the other end, but the arrow was still stuck in the cavity of the pig. Yeah. And that's what's with shooting a, um, ultralight arrow. So that was my thing with these is to see the, uh, the trajectory of them and, you know, shooting, going from shooting pins to, um, you know, to this setup, I wanted to see, you know, like an arrow drop type. It's different when you're shooting a full dial up where, um, you know, y- you can account for that arrow drop and you say, Hey, I, my 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and 70 are completely on. I, I'm just set the side tape up and I'm good to go. I don't even have to, as long as I'm holding steady and let mm-hmm. it rip, it's going to go where it's supposed to go. So having switching from a heavy arrow to this, um, there's no question in my mind. Um, I've seen this firsthand on elk. I've seen it firsthand, like I said, on blacktail, um, up and downhill at a very extreme distances that I'm not going to talk about, yeah. <laughs> talk about here today, but, um, I'm talking complete pastures on absolutely large animals. And, um, you know, with it, that, that pig having those plates and stuff, it, it made it through both of them for sure. It was just stuck, stuck underneath the skin and, um, having, you know, your traditional, what you would think going into the wood, you know, your heavier arrow and stuff like that, um, and we did some, obviously, you know, we did some testing with that and, yeah. um, you guys are, you know, obviously blown away by what, and it was, you know, kind of like your hunting thing for me, it was, it was that awesome watching your guys' experience was with that something you've never, never seen before or mm-hmm. never even heard of. Um, that's the beauty of that, of that Ramcat and the fact that it absolutely, it's the first broadhead on our, on earth that moves mass out of the way. And then and you guys got to see that today and hear what happens when an animal gets hit. We shot into plywood and stuff and you guys heard that, that loud, hard hit. And that's that, that mass moving. But when you get to move matter out of the way, as far as animals are concerned, that's where that broadhead shines. Yeah. And I, I think what really amazed me was the fact that you could sit and you know, plug plywood three or four times, and we're talking probably three quarters inch total of, of the plywood we had, pull that broad head out uh, and shoot it into an animal, and it probably would have still done the same thing versus some of the competitor broadheads we were using after the first shot. Um, <clears throat> you know, the blades were breaking, the ferrules were getting smashed, but that thing is um, just chiseled down to where you could have literally pulled it out of that, that plywood, put it back on your arrow and smack something and probably had the same effect that you would have had if it right as before it came right out of the package. Yeah, and... Um, I got a buddy of mine, his name's Alvin Worthy. He's the one I was telling you about that um, did a bunch of testing for us from the beginning when they sent those heads out west and um, shooting broadhead leagues and stuff like that and, you know, finishing a whole broadhead link with the same, with the same broadhead and then smoking through two bucks during archery season with the same broadhead and then taking it out and shooting through pheasants at the same broadhead, smoking completely into the ground and realizing that there is literally nothing that will slow this thing down. So Yeah, it was... 
I'm going to put some content out. We we did kind of a side by side comparison, and of course, obviously the the icing on the cake was seeing it in work this morning on an animal. So I, there's going to be a little story I'm going to tell about it, but I think it was pretty neat just seeing um, something that um, you know I may have heard of or maybe seen in passing, but didn't even think twice about it because you've got all these other broadhead companies that market so well and mm-hmm. show how well their products do yet in a, a company here that um, probably I wouldn't say markets as well as some of the other competitors mm-hmm. but in my opinion um, exceeds a lot of the expectations of what of those other manufacturers do so yeah and then when you see like I said you see footage of it uh, you know like the the DVD, you yeah. know, the store loop stuff that I now show people. And I said, you know, if you don't believe me, watch this. And then if you really don't believe me, then wait, you know, I don't need to stick something. When you stick something with one of these, that's when, that's when I know for a fact that you'll be a believer in it. Yeah. So 2017 is upon us. Um, and I know you've got some plans this fall, uh, for hunting. <clears throat> uh, what's kind of on your docket for this fall, um, looking forward, uh, into 2017. Well, um, obviously I got, invited to come down here and that was kind of a yeah. n- not on the docket but made it on the docket and like i said i'm you know thankful thankful again and stuff for that and, um it was, it was absolutely awesome but uh yeah i'll go and chase blacktails like i do that's my passion that's my love um if, like we were talking about if they said hey you can only hunt one thing for the rest of your life i'd say all right drop everything else and i'm gonna chase blacktails that's kind of you know where i kind of got my archery thing going and yeah i love chasing them and stuff like that but uh um, yeah, so I'll go do that in August, in August and mid August is where most of the, uh, you know, the good blacktail stuff starts. Um, as far as in the North, um, you guys obviously down here, um, your guys stuff starts about a month, mm-hmm. pretty much about a month before ours. So, yeah. um, yeah, I'll go do that and then, uh, leave to go to Idaho. I'll go, um, probably about three weeks in Idaho chasing elk and having one, one of the, uh, staffers come out who's never chased elk before from Pennsylvania. She'll come out and, um, her and her dad come out and chase elk with me. And then, uh, when I get back from that, um, probably, uh, I don't know. I might do some, probably do some duck hunting. And, uh, I drew a, uh, the A26 bass hill tag this year. So I'll go chase the, the Doyle herd around, um, lucky duck. hundreds of deer a day, hopefully is what I'm looking for during, uh, during, uh, the first storm, second storm maybe. So, um, you guys are out there during that time and see some guy, some guy sneaking around in cipher. That's going to be, that's going to be me. Yeah. And unless there's, uh, hopefully there's other people out there doing the same thing, but, uh, yeah, I have that going on. I got an invite to go down to, uh, probably either Georgia or Kentucky to, uh, maybe do some hog or whitetail down there. And then if there's a possibility I'm looking at, uh, maybe going down to Arizona and do some coos and javelina. Okay. I'm, I'll be anxious to see on your A26 tag. Um, cause likely from a migration standpoint, there'll be snow pushing those animals, what that cipher is going to look like in the snow and the pattern, how it breaks up the snow and depending on obviously how much snow is on the ground, but I bet that pattern will, will pop really well up in the snow and into the Eastern side of the Sierras. Um, I think especially if you get there when it's falling and it's not completely whited out. Yeah. Um, I think when we talk about the disappearing thing with the lights and darks with, you know, the shadows and stuff off the snow with the the backdrop of wet sand, which usually turns really dark or wet gravel versus the white snow. I think that pattern is absolutely going going to disappear. So I'm going to have to be careful out there if there's other guys around where I'm at, you know, sure. oh, run, well, run around with a, that herd of deer. Yeah, no, that's going to be cool. It sounds like you got a pretty busy fall season and uh, a lot of things to look forward to and a lot of good hunts. And uh, um, I'll be anxious to kind of follow you and see how you do. And maybe even if I've got some time, I might try to hang around and maybe go 
stock or two, a few mule deer with you on that A26 tag. So yeah, for be sure. Fun. For sure. Like I said, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those tags you just, you know, you go back to talking about points and stuff. I only had six points going into this and, um, you know, a lot of people look at me and they're like, um, oh, you lucky dog, you, man, they, they had a buddy that, um, he's a big time hunter. He, uh, he drew 11 years ago and whacked a pretty good buck. And he's like, I got 11 points this year. So he's hoping that that 11 was like the magic number. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, bro, I'll do six. Six was a magic number. All you need is six. And there's what, only 30 tags, 30 tags for 826. So. Yeah. Which is probably, I'd imagine wow. that's probably one of the top two that people want for as far as, far as yeah, the for, besides yeah, Devil's Garden. Sierras, yep. 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 That's yeah. cool. That's that's exciting. So when are the date season dates on that hunt again? I believe it's uh November eighteenth through December tenth. So if you get weather, man, it's and I said it's you know, fortunate with my work, I can hey, um, you know, I got uh I gotta take off. Yeah. <laughs> Storm's coming in. So yeah, I'll, I'll I promise I'll make it up to you. <laughs> You'll have to make that happen. I mean that's gonna yeah. be uh again, depending on whether a rut hunt with a migration potential mm-hmm. in that area could be could be for a stomper yeah yeah exactly. yeah, yeah it could it, it could be in that you know and um and that's the thing is it's uh you know not that i'm gonna settle for anything that's you know that's it is what it is you know i'm i'm a, I'm a hunter first you know i like meat you know horns that's a plus yeah. um so if it it's if it's one of those things where it's you know it's getting there and you know I'll make it happen. It yeah. just, you know, you always hope for those, you know, big, tall, heavy tine, you know, thick, you know, just a big, huge basket muley, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. That's cool. Well, Mike, I just want to thank you for um, coming down this weekend and, and uh, you know, obviously the opportunities that you've given me or, or, or helping me pursue with first light and um, you know, just how excited I've been about this opportunity um, and you know, to being able you know, to, to meet you, I'm thinking about all these guys that are emailing you from Pennsylvania. We're on this group email right now. And, you know, it's probably going to be hard for you to see a lot of these guys yeah. or, you know, these guys way back East versus me. It's like, man, I can drive about four hours and I can go, you know, meet this guy who, you yep. know, thinks I've got what it takes to be on this, you know, first light team. So, um, it's been neat getting to know you. It's, it's been fun hosting you. It's been fun having you down here. Um, this is probably the first of many adventures, I'm sure, in the future that, that we're going to take and, uh, and explore together. But, um, you know, just to kind of take away for me, um, there's a lot of things that I learned this weekend, um, you know, obviously that, you know, I wasn't fully tuned up on, um, you know, clearly some of this technology um, that you've brought to the table um, just around, um, you know, stabilizers uh, and vinyl pod systems and other things that are um, essential to the backcountry hunter. Um, but things that really are elevating the game, it's making things lighter, it's making things easier. It, it basically could um, necessitate the need to not carry a tripod in your pack anymore. So things like that. These mm-hmm. Obviously, these broadheads are something that um, are... I just laugh when I think about it because um, I see this low-tech film that you brought. Basically, I mean, it's not anything that, uh, you know, is like a, a Steven Spielberg production, but yeah. uh, it it's so factual and what this broadhead does and it's mm-hmm. just real life it's a guy uh, standing there with a basically a, a 35 millimeter camera rolling uh, you know vhs and video and these guys smacking these animals uh, mm-hmm. it was pretty incredible uh, and then just your knowledge uh, around first light the products there was a lot of things that i mean i've been reading quite a bit around a lot of the new products that they have out but 
you've um, clearly understand the system, understand the products. And it was helpful for me to just kind of pick your brain. And we went and did a little hike yesterday in our Corgate shorts and, and, uh, was just cool to, to, you know, ask you questions about certain uh, topics and things that you were able to help me out with. So I had a great time. I really enjoyed having you here, hosting you and, and, uh, you know, look forward to, like I said, future, uh, you know, adventures and hunts. And we're already talking about a few hunts in the future, potentially yeah. that, that could get aligned up. So mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, like I said, I'm, you know, humbled and stoked that you asked me to come down. If every staffer was down here, I'd, I would make it an effort to come down and, and visit every single one of them and get to know them. And, um, I want, like I said, I want this to be like a, a, a team thing. I want everybody to feel connected. And one of the things that I, I've got before in the past with some companies is, um, I think when some of them get so big, they lose that connectivity and they lose that, um, you know, that, that desire and staffers to want to connect and become a part of something bigger. And, um, that's what I think that I, my vision for, for this first light program is to bring all these people together and have them start bouncing ideas off each other and actually feel connected and feel like they're wanted and feel like they, they, they make a huge impact on first light and to basically be a part of something bigger. Yeah. Yep. So, Mike, if somebody was to want to get a hold of you, um, what's the easiest way? Social media. You have outlets on social media if someone was to reach out to you. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Facebooker. Um, I'm not much of an Instagram guy. Um, I, I get on there to do this stuff, um, solely solely to do this stuff. Um, so, yeah, they can find me on Facebook. Um, you know, I can get, give, give them my phone number or whatever. Um, okay. My email, if anybody ever wants to email, I can. my email is M as in Mary uh, underscore a is an Adam, N is in Nancy, underscore B is in boy at hotmail.com. Okay. And then uh, my phone number is 916-342-3400. Cool. And you do a lot of um, 3D archery shoots. Yep. You're very busy in the Northern California area in terms of um, conference conservation efforts, California deer. There's a lot of things that you're doing. So I'm sure people run into you all the time at some of those different events and, and, uh, you know, shoots and stuff that happen in Northern California. Is that maybe another good way that, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. You know, I'm always, uh, I always go to those events and, um, you know, I think especially for people that hunt, um, if you're hunting in California with a bow and you're not hitting these 3d, 3d archery tournaments, um, I think you definitely should be, uh, I did do a blog for uh, first light, I think it's last year, June. It was a correlation between 3D archery and hunting. Um, check it out. Uh, read it. You can do what you want with it. Take whatever information you want from it. But um, I know it's made me a better hunter. It's made um, you know it's made me a better target archer. But it's also made me a way better hunter and paying attention to your bubble and watching things with your sight and how you draw and going through that that step process that is absolutely huge. When it comes to, when it comes time to actually pull the trigger, some of that stuff becomes almost innate. You don't even have to think about it from shooting target archery. It's already there. Yeah. So cool. Um, one of the things that we're going to look at doing is potentially um, continuing maybe on a monthly basis. And I know you and I talked about this, and we may um, get a hold of Ford and the folks at First Light, but maybe kind of doing like a, a technical review of gear every month, or you know maybe if it gets to the point where. Um, you know, we're running through gear, maybe it's every couple weeks, um, you know, you and I get on a Skype call and, yep. and let's just pick, um, you know, the Corgate system or let's pick the Alturas, you know, women's system mm-hmm. and just talk through 
um, you know, some of the different features they offer, um, the different fits, um, you know, the different components, if they got the Concona, understanding how that works. And uh, so you'll probably be hearing more of us in the future and, and yeah, for sure. kind of getting uh, techie with some of the gear. Uh, but then also, I think, uh, you know, not only from First Light's perception, but just also experiences, other gear that we use, things that, you know, work for us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think there'll be more in the future uh, for us to share. And uh, I'd like to continue to pick your brain and get inside your brain a little bit on some of these products because uh, you are a wealth of knowledge uh, in that space. So anyway, more to come on that front. And uh, I look forward, like I said, to getting to know you better uh, and uh, maybe continuing, uh, like I said, a little series of podcasts uh, in the future uh, and hopefully more, like I said, more adventures uh, in the outdoors. So anyway, Micah, it was great having you. Um, thanks for coming down. Uh, and just appreciate uh, you, um, you know, like I said, giving me this opportunity. And um, like I said, I'll do everything I can at 100 and probably 50% to, to make this right and make sure uh, that we represent the brand the right way. So anyway, yeah, yeah, thanks. Th- no, I really appreciate it. Um, no, thank you for having me and hosting me. And, um, you know, I, like I said, just get coming down. Like I told you, I said, I care less if I shoot a pig coming down to get to know somebody and, you know, go through that process and pick their brain and figure out where they've been and, you know, the things that they do and, you know, and get to know someone that you're putting on a team to, you know, to help better this team is, like I said, if I could meet all of them, I I totally would. I'd Mm -hmm. take the time to go meet all of them. But unfortunately, they live, you know, Australia now, UK now, um, Canada, all across the U.S. So, going back to what we were talking about with that gear stuff, I'm going to start picking some people's brains and having some of these other, you know, staffers that do stuff in extremely humid climates in Alabama or, uh, you know, Canada, freezing cold Canada hunts. You know, that's the stuff we want too. So, yeah. um, so have, hopefully those guys are, you know, they'll have some good information and, uh, yeah, if that, the only thing I'd like to say is just thanks. And it was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those guys that are out there, you know, just get into first light, you know, go farther, stay longer. Hey everyone, this is Lucas Pa, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to Podcasts app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it'll automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or just use our website, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Instagram at Rod N Arrow Outdoors, and Facebook, RNA Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, get involved with conservation efforts, and know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, see you guys on the next ridge.